Okay, well, it's starting. That which I told you last week was going to happen has happened. Evidence has now emerged with the arrest and charging of a Black Lives Matter activist, proving that it was Black Lives Matter activists, probably including some Antifa members as well, that played a major role in the storming of the U.S. Capitol last week on January 6th. It was not just simply Trump supporters. It was Black Lives Matter activists and other left-wing activists who went there on buses. They had arrived at the Capitol even prior to President Trump finishing his speech where he remarked that people would go over to the Capitol now and peacefully protest in a patriotic manner. And apparently the use of the word patriotic is now code speak in the minds of the left for violent protests. And then after breaching the Capitol, encouraged uh, Trump supporters and others to enter in. But the violence that was done, the original planned operation is more and more looking like it was done to exploit this rally and portray Trump and his supporters in a negative light. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so in any one of three ways. You can simply use uh, your native podcast app and whatever operating system you're using. You can go to the iTunes App Store for you iPhone users or the Google Play Store for you Android, Android users and download NPO podcast or NP online with myself, Jamie Dury. You can also download the free Podbean app. Podbean is a hosting service that we use, and you can subscribe to the show that way. Regardless of how you subscribe, please do subscribe. It is absolutely free, and you will never, ever miss an episode. You'll be notified whenever a new episode is uploaded of the show. In addition to that, we're seeking to expand our offerings. The way we can do this is to make the show more popular, and we need your help. Please write a review of the show in either of the app stores that you use or on Podbean itself. Leave a few comments. It will help us be found in search results. And if you'd like to contribute to the show, simply go to our Facebook page. There is a GoFundMe campaign set up at facebook.com forward slash National Preview Online. We're not looking for big donations, ladies and gentlemen. Please do not do that. Five and ten dollar donations would be greatly appreciated so that we can add call-in lines, interview guests, and increase the quality and the frequency of our offerings. Any help you can give us would be greatly appreciated. In addition, there is a link that was put up to some ad campaigns that I've done for a while. I've been available for public speaking, and I have done public speaking, but now we're advertising it even more because people are starting to make inquiries, and there's been a great deal of um, interest in a lecture on the historical origins of the Electoral College, how it came into being, why the Founding Fathers put it together, and why it would be a grave mistake to try and repeal it, which is something the Democrats and the left are assiduously trying to do. So it might be worth your while to have Jamie Dury as a keynote speaker at one of your next political meetings. But right now, to the business of the day. Uh, the activist I was alluding to earlier, a man by the name of John Earl Sullivan, a newly released court filing says that John Earl Sullivan, 26, told FBI agents last week that he was at the Capitol when the breach happened. He said he entered through a window that had been broken out. 
He also said he was present when Ashley Babbitt, the Air Force veteran, was shot dead by a U.S. Capitol police officer as she tried to climb into the House Speaker's lobby through a window. Sullivan showed agents some of the footage he captured inside the building, which he and others entered illegally. He was arrested and charged uh, on Thursday, which is today. Sullivan showed, I'm sorry, video showed Sullivan and others breaking through a barricade with the Utah man shouting, there are so many people, let's go. This blank is ours. Blank, yeah, we accomplished this blank. We did this together. Blank, yeah, we are all a part of this history. Let's burn this blank down. Now, you see, that kind of rhetoric, ladies and gentlemen, would be something that if it was uttered by a president would be inciting to riot and we'd be considered impeaching or impeachable. Saying, let's all march down to the Capitol and peacefully protest in a patriotic manner, somehow doesn't quite rise to that level, doesn't quite say the same thing. And Mr. Sullivan, being a Black Lives activist and being involved in forcefully breaking in, uh, it's clear to me that he was trying to fan the flames of discontent. And the sources of that discontent we will get into shortly. I've uh, done something I usually don't do in one of these shows. I've usually just go off the top of my head based on a few ideas that I have for each particular show of topics I want to cover, or um, you know, issues of the moment. Uh, but occasionally, I make a little bit more detailed notes, which I did today, because there's certain things I definitely want to cover and don't want to let uh, fall by the wayside. Uh, apparently, during one conversation with others while inside, Sullivan said, we got to get this blank, expletive, burned. At other times, he said, among other things, it's our house, boom, and we are getting this expletive. Sullivan told U.S. Capitol Police officers to stand down so that they wouldn't get hurt. That's pretty cool, I think. A rioter telling the police to stand down, don't you think? He joined the crowd trying to open the doors to another part of the Capitol, telling people, hey guys, I have a knife and asking them to let him get to the front. He did not make it to the doors. He later tried to get the officers guarding the speaker's lobby to go home, telling them, bro, I've seen people out there get hurt. Sullivan spoke to a slew of media outlets after the breach, including CNN and ABC. He told the Epic Times that he took steps to blend in with the crowd so he didn't get beat up. He said he's known in the activist community as being a member of the far left, anarcho-communist group Antifa. He denied being a member of the network. He told Epic Times he knew of plans to storm the Capitol and that he saw them on underground chats and things like that. He posted information about the plans on his social media, but didn't inform the law enforcement. I'm not a snitch, he said. He has posted in support of Black Lives Matter and he leads a group called Insurgents USA, which says it was founded in the wake of the death of George Floyd. He's not a snitch. How much you want to bet he speaks like a canary when the FBI squeeze him? He didn't want to talk about the things he saw on social media because those things most likely were posted by groups he was a part of. It wasn't posted by Trump people. 
If he hates the Trump people so much, why was he there helping them to get in? Why was he there facilitating this? They're looking to deep six them. This is really, really conspiratorial. And it's really insulting to the intelligence that in the light of these type of things, that they're going after Trump. But let's get to facts of the day, things I wanted to cover today. You know, yesterday in the previous shows, I've been focusing on the Democrats, how scared they were of what Trump might do in his last few days in office, what their real agenda is, how they're trying to uh, disqualify him from ever running again. Remember, for those of you, excuse me, who are not historians, excuse me for a moment, there's only been one time in history in the United States where a man ran for president, was defeated in his reelection, and then ran again against the person he was defeated and won two terms, but not consecutive. And that was Grover Cleveland in the 1800s. Trump could conceivably do it again. I can't see why he would want to. Why would you want to clean the same spilt milk up twice. Uh, I think he would have been better served of doing two terms in a row. But he's a determined man, and he's a very youthful man, and he might want to do it. And that's what's driving this. Why else would you try and remove a man from office with less than 10 days to serve in that office? And it's bad enough the Democrats are doing this, but any Republican who can bring themselves to support removal of President Trump with less than 10 days left in his presidency absolutely must be opposed for re-election and not forgiven. For the first time in history, the House of Representatives has voted to impeach the sitting president twice in his term. They're making a mockery of the impeachment process. Impeachment, first of all, can only be used against a sitting president, not a former one. And the great constitutional scholar, Professor Emeritus Alan Dershowitz of Harvard, noted on Sunday Morning Futures with Maria Bartiromo that under the Senate's own rules, by the time they get this article of impeachment, they will not be able to begin taking action on it until 1 p.m. on January 20th. Well, by 1 p.m. January 20th, President Trump will already be the former president for a period of one hour. You can't have an impeachment, a proceeding solely designed to remove a president who's no longer president. It's not a criminal indictment. They can't impeach an ex-president. And Dershowitz said he stands ready. Even though he disagrees with the president on many things, he is a staunch defender of the Constitution. And he says he stands ready to defend Trump against this impeachment. But let me ask you this question. If you haven't thought of it, a few people have mentioned it, but not enough. If President Trump really incited those people to riot in his speech in Washington last week, wouldn't it follow that the mainstream media, which has been extremely hostile to him, would be playing the speech over and over and over again in order to gain public support for the impeachment by the allowing the public to see the president inciting this quote-unquote riot? I'm getting a little sick and tired of this Washington hustle. The Democrats have made a mockery of the impeachment process. The Founding Fathers put the process of impeachment into our Constitution so that there was a lawful and orderly method for removing a sitting president who had committed high crimes and misdemeanors or otherwise violated his oath of office. President Trump has done no such thing. 
He has discharged the duties of his office in accordance with the law. And for these legislators in the House of Representatives and the Senate to now go on television and proclaim that this is not who we are, this is not what our democracy is about, this is an assault on this hallowed institution of democracy, is a crock. Do they really mean to say that the only time democracy is under attack is when their legislative body, their house, where they go to work is attacked? I thought it worked a little differently. Isn't democracy under attack whenever laws are allowed to be violated and the people charged with the enforcement of those laws simply throw up their hands because they wish not to get involved or because they sympathize with the lawless, in other words, the people committing the lawless acts? I hate to be the bearer of bad news, my friends, but what you saw in Washington last week is exactly what we are and what we have become. All you had to do was turn on the TV screen since earlier this spring. Most of us have been locked down like caged animals for the better part of the year, all ostensibly in order to prevent the spread of a virus that we now know poses no greater risk of death than the seasonal flu. Yes, that's true. COVID-19 has a survival rate of 99.5%. So we have to ask ourselves, what was all this for? This is the first time in the history of the world that we have chosen to quarantine the healthy instead of simply quarantining the sick, or if you wish, in this case, the sick plus those most at risk from this virus should they become sick. In this case, that would be the elderly or those with other risk factors like cancer, diabetes, pulmonary disease, etc., Apparently, according to the CDC, only 6% of all those who have died in the United States from COVID-19 were in otherwise good health. That's about 17,000 people. And of course, as is the case with all numbers, there's no way of knowing how many of those 17,000 people may have had undiagnosed comorbidities, but we'll assume, for the sake of argument, that 17,000 of them were completely healthy. That 17,000 people that died, who were in otherwise good health, out of 12 million people who have tested positive for COVID-19 in the United States. But the 12 million positive tests don't tell the whole story. That's because those people only got tested because they were symptomatic and felt sick. 97% of the people infected with COVID-19 are completely asymptomatic. In other words, they don't feel sick, so they don't get tested because they don't know they have it. Based on that, it is now estimated that approximately 120 million people have been infected with COVID-19 in the United States. Measured against that number, the approximately 300,000 people who have died represent an extremely small percentage of the actual number of infections, far below 1%, maybe even lower than the seasonal flu. And if you notice, the seasonal flu has disappeared. Nobody gets it anymore. Because everybody who does get it is being categorized as COVID-19 so they can get more federal aid money. What an honest system. So while we were all locked down like livestock to prevent the spread of a virus, which really isn't all that lethal, we had plenty of time to watch television and listen to the news. And we all saw the aforementioned riots that I just mentioned. Uh, described as peaceful protests. 
And we can legitimately call them riots because peaceful protests do not involve the burning of businesses, the destruction of property, the setting of fire of police vehicles, the hostile takeover of police stations. I mean, let me ask you, is, is not taking over a police station an assault on democracy? Is not the attacking of innocent civilians and the destruction of businesses in violation of our laws an assault on democracy? Democracy is only under assault when some overpaid, ill-equipped congressional representative begins to feel the heat? Mind you, all of these riots that we saw throughout the spring were all endorsed and applauded by mayors and governors in the states in which they took place. And what states would those be? The bluest of states, of course, Minnesota, where it all began with George Floyd's death in police custody, Oregon, in the city of Portland, Washington State, in the city of Seattle. We even had Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin jokingly stating that the area could hold a summer of love, alluding to a mass gathering of peace activists in San Francisco back in 1967. And here in my home state of New York, where the media is fawning over Il Duce, for those of you who don't know my reference to Il Duce, that would be Governor Benito Cuomo holding him out like some sort of genius and gifted leader when he is nothing more than another benighted politician. Riots ravaged Manhattan and Brooklyn. I drove up and down Fifth Avenue after the riots. Oh, excuse me, the peaceful protests. It looked like a war zone. Every designer store you could name was boarded up and destroyed. All except for Gucci. That's only because Gucci happened to be in the Trump building, and the Secret Service does their job. They're not told to let rioters do what they will, as the New York City police were unfortunately told by their communist mayor. And why did all this happen? Well, exactly for that reason. Because New York City is run by a communist mayor named Bill de Blasio who refused to allow the police to do their jobs. He didn't even want the police to wear riot gear like helmets to protect themselves. He forbade the police commissioner from using the mounted units or the canine units to disperse crowds, because those of you who have been to New York know, or if you've read about New York, you know that uh, the New York City Police Department enjoys a, a very, very good reputation in terms of how it handles crowds, because it's so large. It has more people than any other police department. While all this was going on, Il Duce sat on his pompous ass in Albany and pontificated before the media how he could displace the mayor and send in the National Guard. But like all bloviating politicians, all Benito Cuomo did was continue to sit on his butt and bloviate. That was the extent of his action as New York City was left in ruins. Now, where was all this concern, I want to know, about the spread of COVID-19 during all of this? Where was the condemnation of the assault on our democracy? Nowhere to be found or heard. None of this, mind you, seemed to draw any great criticism from the same congressional representatives who now unhesitatingly visit their vitriol and anger at President Trump simply because the heat got a little too close to them for comfort. 
No, my congresspersons, political correctness all time, and senators, rioting and vandalism are exactly who we have become. Thanks in no small part to your studied neglect of the plight of the American people and your indulgence of leftists fanatics. It's about time our congressional representatives in both the House and the Senate need to be called out. They have become perhaps the most dysfunctional legislative body in the world. If anyone is guilty of assaulting democracy, it's all congressional representatives. They've made a mockery of it. Hundreds of thousands of American businesses lie in ruin thanks to the draconian measures imposed upon them by uber-leftist governors. The House of Representatives, led by hypocrite-in-chief Nancy Pelosi, obstructed any financial help for the American people in order to influence an election and portray President Trump in the poorest light possible. Those who can put their political futures ahead of the needs of the starving masses are the true enemies of democracy. Our congressmen, congresswomen, and senators have become their own elite political class, immune from all of the negativity they visit upon the rest of us by their inaction. And how quickly inaction became action once the election was over. Then the congressional coffers were suddenly opened and flowing with money freely. Unfortunately, it didn't flow to the American people. Oh, yes, I know. They gave you your paltry little $600. But that $600 per person came to $198 billion of a COVID relief bill, supposedly, that totaled over $900 billion. Over $700 billion of that COVID relief bill had nothing to do with COVID at all. An important fact. In fact, the bulk of that aid went to everything but, but COVID that you could think of. Billions in foreign aid to countries that we shouldn't be helping. I mean, imagine, I mean, the American people are starving. I live in Manhattan. I see these places boarded up. Third Avenue has over 600 stores boarded up or with four rent signs in them. Do we really need to be sending $1.3 billion to Egypt? Do we really need to be sending $700 million to the Sudan? I mean, this ruling class in Washington seems to have no compunction against spending money. And why should they? It's not their money. It's yours. And now that the people are more than just a little pissed off by the shenanigans that took place in blue states in the last election, the same people who were forgotten by the Washington elites and voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and had their livelihoods returned to them in consequence, decided to go to the Capitol last week to make their displeasure known. It's their right, isn't it? Just as Dumbo Bill de Blasio, oh, and the mayor of Seattle and the rest of the left said it was the right of Black Lives Matter to riot and steal property because we had slavery 170 years ago that we no longer have. And speaking of Black Lives Matter and Antifa, there, as I said before, there was increasing evidence, which has now come to pass, that these factions were involved in the taking of the Capitol. 
They were the ones dressed in the military garb and black outfits as they typically do. They were the ones who breached the Capitol. The Capitol Police offering token resistance. And of course, there's that lovely woman who's no longer with us, Ashley Babbitt, a 12-year Air Force veteran who went to protest against her government, which is her right. Her name will surely fade from the political and cultural lexicon of the United States within the next week or so, unlike that of George Floyd, a reprobate who will seemingly live forever in infamy. Ashley Babbitt was shot by the Capitol Police while standing in front of a host of other police officers. Now, this is dangerous to innocent bystanders and the police officers flanking her. And I don't recall, as I said the other day, that trespassing, even trespassing in the Capitol, being an, a, a crime or an action for which the use of deadly physical force is warranted or even legal. And even if it were... A police officer is duty-bound to see what's downrange or what he's firing at. Only an idiot would fire at an unarmed woman who was flanked by innocent bystanders. And you know they were innocent bystanders because they were police officers in uniform. Unless you want to start saying the police are now the enemy. Not to worry. Congress is going to go forth to punish President Trump for inciting this riot, even though no evidence of President Trump having done so, exists. I refer back to the videotape, which we have not seen the mainstream media playing over and over and over and over again, ad nauseum, to marshal public opinion against the president because no such tape of him saying any such thing exists because he never said it. Still, our elected representatives continue to press forward with the charade because they mistakenly think that somehow, if they can purge Trump from the Republican Party, the movement that he leads will also be purged from the Republican Party and fade away with him. There are only two things wrong with this assumption. The first is that President Trump isn't going anywhere. President or no, he's not simply going to fade away. Donald Trump is a very wealthy man, and very adept at media matters, and I suspect he will shortly found his own media company. This is one of the many reasons they walk in mortal fear of the man, because they fear that he will do that and that he would also run again, as the aforementioned Grover Cleveland did in the mid-19th century. They want him removed because they hope to disqualify him from ever running for anything again. I don't think it will work. The second thing that's wrong with their assumption is that they really don't understand the movement that Trump leads, and they never have. They think he founded it. He didn't. He simply became the leader of a movement that had already begun because of the public's growing dissatisfaction with the ruling class, which increasingly exists and seeks to benefit itself at the expense of the people it is supposed to represent. Once you realize this, you quickly understand that attempting to remove Donald Trump before January 20th, when he will leave on his own accord, is the worst possible thing they could do, as it will only fortify the hatred and the distrust 73 million Americans already have for their congressional representatives and senators. 
A few weeks ago on this program, I warned you all of what can happen when people are pushed to the brink, when their elected officials become unresponsive to their needs, and when our court system abandons equality before the law, picks and chooses what matters it will intervene in and on whose behalf they will intervene, effectively becoming an unelected, uncontrollable, super-legislature manipulated by the ultra-left, whose only desire is to turn this, the greatest nation the world has ever seen, into just another third-world slag heap. Unless you're blind, you've been seeing this happen. What do you think the purpose of all this illegal immigration has been? To bring into this country people who do not seek to better it, but seek to make it mirror the failed states they have left. The Founding Fathers may have been from England, but the early waves of immigration that came to these shores in the 1800s came from Europe and in the early 1900s. And they espoused a European value system that prioritized work, pride, and self-respect. The current crop of immigrants seeking to come here do not all share such a value system. In fact, a large proportion do not. The countries they come from are filthy, poor, and in many cases, rife with ignorance and uneducation, illiteracy, probably a better word than ignorance. This is due only in part to the corruption of the governments that run the countries where these people live. It is due primarily because it is reflective of the culture that has existed in those countries for centuries. Our founding European-based culture and this new socialist culture, where everyone is entitled to everything, regardless of who has to pay for it, cannot coexist. And now in the final act of lunacy, the people who are elected to safeguard our democracy and our country are about to commit an act that will have the societal effect of taking a match to a tanker loaded with gasoline. The members of Congress, both House and Senate, I warned you that I believe you have seriously misjudged the American people in the current American political climate. If you continue on this aberrant course, then what you saw in the Capitol last week will pale in comparison to what I fear is to come. As guilty as the Democrats are in this insanity, we have come to at least expect it from them. But any Republican who participates in this has signed his own political death warrant and will have inaugurated not Joe Biden, but the birth of a third party which will displace the GOP and bring about the rebirth of the America, our founding fathers, the greatest generation who ever lived, envisioned. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.